Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality, and I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. Today on the podcast, legendary producer Joel Gallen. In his long and very storied career, Joel's carved out a unique niche as the guy to go to for live events, music, comedy, even as he calls it the disaster guy. He's produced every single Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony from the very beginning, countless award shows, A-list comedy concerts, every Comedy Central roast, the list goes on and on. Amazing. I have to say, Joel's story about Prince, which he tells in very detail, might be my very favorite story on the podcast to date. And that's saying a lot. There's been some great ones. When you hear that story and some other gems, you'll understand why Joel's become the huge success he is and has been for a long while. Joel Gallen, this is so exciting. Uh, You seem really excited. I'm not (laughs) sure what I'm in for. You're speechless. uh, I I think that's it. You're so excited you're speechless. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm so happy you're here. I always start by saying how I know the guests, and you and I know each other through Laura Lickstein, an old dear friend of both of ours. Um, And I met you, I think, the first time at uh, Ellen DeGeneres' One Woman show where she sort of like rebirth her whole sort of rebirth of coming out and like 99 with that. Is that sound right? Around 2000 maybe? That sounds right. I did two specials with her both at the Beacon. Yeah, it was at the Beacon for and, sure. And I think they were only a couple years apart, so I'm not sure which She was one. with Portia at the time. Right. Then it was the second one. Okay. Because uh, the first one she was still with Anne. No, sorry. It was Anne. It was Anne. It was the one with Anne. I just confused them completely. Well, then, then i not even <laughs> sure if she ever was with Portia and either one of them because I feel like uh, right. she was with Anne maybe for both specials. Okay. But let's not talk about that. <laughs> I've heard just the best things about Ellen. Okay, moving on. I don't even know where to start with you because, I, you know, I look up your Wikipedia and I—, I it's sort of like there's too much to talk about. It's actually very incomplete, last time I checked. <laughs> well, that's a big problem because <laughs> you've done too much. So it's interesting because, you know, I have all kinds of people on the podcast, and I just did uh, record a Jonas Larson, our friend from Comedy Central. So I've had network executives. I've had producers, you know, who own and run production companies like yourself. But, but I don't think I've had anyone, and I try to, you know, diversify. And I think you're sort of the first guest who's, really found an amazing niche in, you know, big, big specials and live specials and all different kinds of grand, uh, you know, I don't know how you describe when you describe yourself sort of what your expertise is. And I know you've done a lot, so there's not one genre particular, but you definitely are known for these big specials. Yeah, over the years, definitely. I I was known for um, big live events, especially music events. And then... right. Uh, I started doing more comedy events, and then uh, I became the go-to disaster guy <laughs> because when a disaster right. 9/11. hit, 9-11, Haiti, Katrina, uh, I, wow. was the, I was the guy the networks called to put together a fundraiser. I didn't really set out to be that guy, but I was certainly honored uh, to be the one to do it. So, Where's your impeach Trump? Are we doing that one? I got to say— uh, Please, I would Joel, be, save the nation. <laughs> I would. I, I. I don't know how you do a show to do that, but uh, you could certainly um, uh, do other kinds of shows to really uh, show support and and uh, rally behind some of the causes uh, that we're all trying to, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, stay strong and and stay behind uh, with all the controversy going on, especially with the recent events in, uh, in in Charlottesville. so I'm just hoping by the time we drop this, which will be in a couple of months, that we, that we this will be like, oh, remember when we were talking about Trump? That was so hilarious because he's been gone and he's going to jail. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I know. I, I, I'm I, the optimist. I, I, I think... I think we're stuck with him for a little bit, but uh, I, I don't. I'm hoping he doesn't make it the full four years, but maybe somehow we can get him out within two. I'm I'm hoping. I'm hoping for sooner. Mueller, go Mueller. Yeah. Okay. So back to uh, back to TV. <laughs> okay. So you right. So you've produced 17 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremonies. I believe so. I that's haven't. Insane. Uh, I'd have to check. Uh, <laughs> that's to be what sure. Wikipedia says. Wikipedia? Is it one a year? Yeah, Wikipedia says 17. Yeah, it's one a year, but I'm not doing it right now. I did okay. it. Uh, let me see if I can remember. And I did it in 93. 1993 was my first one, which was the year uh, Eddie Vedder inducted The Doors and Bruce Springsteen wow. inducted Creedence Clearwater, just to name a couple. I did it from 93 to 97. And then I didn't do it again until I think 2003. And then I did it from 2003 to 2014. So if those years add up to 17, then I've done 17. And I've also I also did in 1995... 
uh, the six-hour concert that actually opened the museum itself in Cleveland. Wow. It was at Cleveland Municipal Stadium, and HBO ran the entire six-hour event live. Uh, had everybody from Bruce Springsteen to Bob Dylan to Chuck Berry to Little Richard. So it was pretty amazing. And, uh, and they also did in 2009 at Madison Square Garden a two-night concert uh, to celebrate the 25th anniversary uh, of uh, the first-ever Hall of Fame induction. Uh, we did that, and that also was on HBO, and we cut it into a, uh, like a four-hour event on HBO. So cool. And it's interesting, the, the live part of it, because, again, there's not a lot of producers that have experience in live, which is a complete a- different animal. I came up in news, so that's all I, I did. You know, it's like, I don't care what your crisis is at 10 of 6. I have to go live at 6, so I can't talk to you right now. So, you know— are you so do you still get that adrenaline rush and you know when when it's a live event versus you know stuff that's taped or live to tape? Without a doubt, in fact, I get it even more now because mm. like in the beginning of my career I was producing the live events, right. but now I produce and direct, direct them. So And can you explain the difference because I think some people really don't understand sure. what what it means to direct a live event. Well, First, I'll explain. Uh, I'll use a uh, sports analogy. Uh, okay. A producer is like uh, the coach yeah. of the team. Yeah. He's putting the team together. He's got the vision. You know, he's got he, he's got the game plan, the strategy. Uh, but really, it's assembling. Uh, it's almost like the coach and the general manager. You know, putting mm-hmm. the team together. And the director is more like you know the starting pitcher or the quarterback or the point guard. You know, he's he's really the one that is executing live right in front of you everything you're seeing he's calling the cameras he's setting up where the cameras go he's working closely with uh in this case the artists as far as if there's any choreography or things like that so uh there are definitely uh distinguishable things between the two of them but uh you know in uh um in live television it's it is rare uh that uh, you'll see a live producer also directing uh, but, but that's, it's, that's but, just me being a control freak. No, but it, right, which is a great thing because I have to say the best directors that I've ever worked with who do live are the ones who are listening because it's easy, not easy. It's actually a really hard job, but it's it's a very specific skill to be able to. You're essentially I always equated to an orchestra conductor, right? Camera one, camera two, you know, and, and you're you're seeing it in your head, but a real a producer who directs listens to the content and actually produces it as a director, if you can very expand astu- on that. That's a very astute of you because you're absolutely right. And Because it is frustrating sometimes for me to watch other shows with other directors right. that aren't necessarily listening to the content. They're more sort of following their shot plan. Exactly. And they're not really um, uh, moving off their shot plan because they feel like, oh, this is the time I got to go here. This time I have to go here. But if you're listening to what's going on, whether it's a comedian, a music performance, or any kind of award show presentation, you have to be listening and be able to fly by the seat of your pants and 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 be able to improvise uh, to make sure you get the right shots and the right reactions and things like that. And uh, um, I do feel like my producing background uh, helps me, uh, you know, prepare for things like that. Interesting. I feel like you're almost, when I was looking at your bio, um, and I remember seeing you on some special um, about the MTV Music Awards and talking about Howard Stern as Fartman. I feel like you're like this <laughs> zealot of like music slash comedy award show history where you've been, you know, you've met probably every art and, you know, iconic artist, Prince, Springsteen, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Every comedian. I mean, Howard Stern and you, I know you directed the birthday special. I'm a huge Howard fan. And then Artie talks about you in his book and that crazy story of how, like, they couldn't get him on the plane. To about, the, about Bob Saget roast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. can you just tell that story? Because it's such a great story. By the way, I have to look at Artie's book because I didn't even know that he tells the story yeah. in his oh, book. Oh, yeah. So I got I to gotta get that. Yeah. Let me see if I—basically, I, it's a pretty simple story. We were doing the Bob Saget roast, and Artie Lang was uh, a mess. Uh, <laughs> confirmed to uh, be on the dais, and he was flying from New York, and he was supposed to— uh, show up to rehearsal or I guess the day before and uh, his plane uh, arrived and he wasn't on it. Uh, so we were trying to track him down and we couldn't get to him. Uh, uh, I think we call- I had his direct line. He wasn't picking up the phone and I can't remember who, I guess we found, I think we found somebody. Jeff in- Garland. We've, well, no, no, but I'm saying we found somebody uh, in New York that, that at least gave, reported back to us what was happening. Okay, that actually, it, right. It's first, always impossible to get in touch with well, him. Well, first of all, we were worried. What happened? Right, was is he, he alive? Plane? Yeah, is everything okay? And uh, and then we were trying to, you know, I guess he had a bad night. He had a 
he had a little bit of a binge and uh, and was having trouble, uh, you know, uh, getting the uh, energy motivation, you know, to to get back to the airport and actually get on a plane and come out to L.A. and do it. And we were trying to convince him every which way because, you know, we just had so many jokes about Artie. And right. we didn't want them to go to waste. Right, right. That was really what we were thinking about. Hey. Not that he would be funny. Of course, we were thinking about right. that. The roast on him. Right. But it was really, there would have been almost like a good, uh, you know, he would have been a, a close second to the amount of jokes uh, people making fun of. So yeah. it was day before to try to rewrite the show like that is a oh little bit God. of a concern. But at the end of the day, you know, we were concerned about his health and to make sure that, uh, you know, uh, he was going to survive. And that's really what it came down to. So then we did finally say, okay, we gave up on him actually making it out there, and uh, we scrambled to find uh, uh, the best Artie Lang uh, stand in ever. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, what, uh, what's his name? Jeff Garland. So, yeah. You know, but uh, like I said, I don't think the story is that unbelievable. Well, but, uh, it's it, you funny. Know. I mean, I think what it is is just it's probably one of hundreds of examples of fires that you've had to put out in your career. Yes, <laughs> right? I would say yes. That's a good, that's uh, certainly uh, true. Lots of fires, lots of last second, you know, changes, you know, lots of uh, you know, just scrambling at the last minute, um, and uh, but that's all part of the excitement and and the sort of adrenaline rush of the job. I was going to ask you, do you love? You probably hate it and love it all at the same time. Yeah, I I I tend to love it. It's yeah. it's crazy. I am a glutton for punishment right? and. Uh, <laughs> And when I'm doing a show and everything is perfect and everything is in boring. stone, yeah, it's not that it's boring, but it's like it, 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 you don't really. Uh, it just, it just, it just. It, when things go seamless, it is nice. But somehow, somehow, those shows, when you look at them later on, they're never the best shows. The shows that you remember are the best shows are the ones that have so many, not so many, but at least a handful of drama mm -hmm. leading up to it or a handful of last minute decisions or last second changes. I mean, my, uh, I did five, uh, MTV video music awards. And of course the one by far, which was, which stands out is the one that Howard Stern was on as fart man, but not necessarily because of that, even though that was a great moment was because, you know, we had Nirvana. They were supposed to open the show with smells like teen spirit. And then at the last second they said, no, we want to do, um, um, rape me. Uh, what's that the name of the song? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's the chorus. I don't know if that's what it was called. Yeah, I think that's the name of the yeah. song. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> they um, they came to rehearsal and they said this is what they wanted to do. And by the way, it's an anti a lot of people at the time were just overreacting because it really is an anti-rape song, right, obviously. And it, yeah, exactly. So um, I, and it also wasn't a hit. It really wasn't played on radio yet mm -hmm. or, or people didn't really know the song. So that's really the reason that MTV and everybody's like, we can't open the show. Right, we need a, the hit. With a basically unheard of song. Plus, we were in Pauley Pavilion, a gymnasium at UCLA with, you know, 6,000 people. So to open with Smells Like Teen Spirit just made all the sense in the world if you've seen their video. Go crazy. And uh, so at the last second, we had a scramble, and then MTV said, no, we can't open. So we put Nirvana in the middle of the show. So who opened um, it? And uh, and they ended up doing Lithium, actually, which was a great song, too. Uh -huh. And we ended up scrambling, and we changed it, and we opened with the Black Crows, nice. uh, which were great. Yeah. But they were not Nirvana. Right. And, uh, and it was just a, the overall show, though, was amazing because it was uh, a very unpredictable environment for an award show because it was the first award show of its kind. Like, I had introduced on the VMAs what we call the party in the pit, where all the yeah. other award shows and even the MTV Awards really just had invited guests and industry. And right. It was a pretty stuffy Were the audience. most boring. Exactly. And even on MTV, they were doing that until I took it over. And then we started putting fans in the front nice. rows and things like that. Now, every, now everybody is It's sorry, a thing, yeah. Now everybody does it. But then I, I took it one step further in the, the VMAs. By the way, it wasn't 93. It was 92. Mm -hmm. uh, the 92 VMAs, when we, when we landed this uh, venue at UCLA, the entire floor was like 4,000 fans. And the industry was all on the sides. Still pretty good seats, but not as good as the fans. But right. It was all standing room only, but it was like, like it, it was like going to a, a real concert for yeah. once. And I remember a lot. I got a lot of shit for that. Because, really? Yeah, because a lot of the executives were like, oh, we, we were too far away. Right. Even people at MTV were upset about it. But yet, when you watch that show, there's no VMA in history that could hold a candle to it as far as the excitement and energy and enthusiasm 
of one of those shows, which is what a VMA should be every single year. Absolutely. And, and uh, of course, again, the whole Howard Stern of it, too, was just a, a, an amazing moment. And again, think about it. It was 1992. Still, Howard maybe had somewhat of a national audience, but he still— It wasn't huge. Yeah, he wasn't— was not huge Private yet. parts was, hadn't come out yet. Nope. It, it was all—it uh, was the beginning of, like, syndicating his show and all that, but they let me take a shot, and— uh, uh, it, 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 he still talks about it and it opened his movie, the yeah. recreation right. of it, the whole thing, and and uh, led to a longstanding relationship with me and Howard. I love that. And so I was going to ask you about that. I mean, you've, again, so many celebrities and, and talent, as we say in the biz. I mean, what's sort of your number one governing philosophy on dealing with talent? Because you obviously have a knack for it and these people are friends and they want to work with you over and over. What do you think, what's like the key to working with talent and maybe even difficult uh, Really, talent? it's very simple. The key is is making them happy. It's right. really like, you know, especially let's take music. You know, yeah. there's a lot of things that are important. When an artist goes on TV, it used to be they'd, especially artists that really care about how they look and how they sound. There were just a lot of productions, you know, in the 70s and 80s, even back to the 60s, where they didn't look good, it wasn't lit well, it sounded like crap. And I took, you know, I was a huge music fan. And when I, you know, broke into this business, pretty much doing music on television, Mm -hmm. you know, I was coming at it not uh, from being a, a guy who went to film school or a guy that was a TV producer first. I was a music fan first. So mm-hmm. I came, I did all of my shows as a fan and someone who's very passionate about music. And I think artists really sense that about me and that I would like bend over backwards to make sure that they were happy with how it sounded, how it looked, uh, just uh, the, just everything about their segment. I took great pains, even if, even if I had to do some things behind the backs of whatever network, whatever executives I was, I was, I was gonna working ask for. was going to that, yeah, how you balance it. I sometimes would have to give them uh, special treatment. Right. And, and I think— um, So the key is always letting them think they want—like that you're always on—have their back rather than the network. Well, it wasn't, and it wasn't like a key. It was just like that's just who how I was. was. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you know, I wanted them—you uh, know, and, and it meant like— if it meant like they wanted to put their guy uh, uh, mixing the sound, mm-hmm. I told my guy, let him do it. You could sit there next to him. You can show him, how, you know, how yeah. your board works or whatever. But if that's what's important to them, we should do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it really is letting them keep as much control as possible of their segment. Uh, and I think that's all it really, really took. And um, and just respect them, you know, and—, and uh, and the same thing with comedians, the same thing. You know, when you work with comedians, you know, you don't want to, you want to, you want to uh, collaborate with them, whether it was Ellen or Chris Rock or more recently even Pete Davidson, you know, it's a collaborative thing, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, let, let's talk about your material. Let's talk about the sequence. Will this joke work better here? For the most part, they're doing that themselves. What should the look be? What, what do you want behind you? How do you, how do you like to be lit? What side is your favorite side? I know this all sounds you know, how many times you want me to, you know, do you like shooting, showing the audience? Some people don't like showing the audience, you know, maybe more wide shots, more tight shots. So all that stuff is you, you don't just do it in a vacuum. You do it with them and, and you're, you, you feel sort of lucky that they even asked you to do it. And, and, and you show that respect and, and then they want to work with you again. Who's easier, art, uh, comedians or artists? Comedians. <laughs> I, well, I think a lot of artists are too, but I think, I think there are more difficult you know, first of all, I've worked with a ton more musical artists than comedians, you know, because I do so many, I've done so many of these shows like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yeah. and the MTV Awards right. and all kinds of other multi-artist concerts. I've worked multi-artist TV events. So I've worked with so many more artists where comedians, yeah, I've done a lot of um, smaller shows in Comedy Central that have a lot of different comedians, but usually they're up and coming comedians and there's no prima donnas. They all right. are just so grateful yeah, for right. being there. And as far as the big names, like, you know, the Chris Rocks and the Ellen DeGeneres, they're, they're just good people and right. uh, easy, very easy to work with. Right. And it's such pros. Yeah, it's such pros without a doubt. So, um, in ter- I, I remember when Prince died, we're friends on Facebook and I remember when Prince died, you had a really beautiful tribute. Um, I was hoping you could tell a good, your good Prince story. Well, that was basically um, the year uh, Prince was being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And uh, <clears throat> we uh, also were inducting, you know, as we do every year, many other artists. And one of them was George Harrison. And um, Tom Petty and Jeff Lynne were set to co-induct George Harrison. And, uh, you know, I had this idea that uh, the end of the show, how great would it be if we did While My Guitar Gently Weeps and Prince comes out and does the guitar solo that Eric Clapton did on on the Beatles album 
uh, would just you know bring the house down and it would be such a great tribute and uh, a magical moment over and above what, all the other moments that we hope to have uh, during the show. So I, um, I wrote a letter to Prince. You know, I had never spoken to him uh, about it. Uh, I had worked with him once before on the MTV Awards. God, I think it was like maybe 1991 when he came out in the assless pants, <laughs> the cheekless, the, uh, where his ass was uh, totally exposed. And he had the tambourines. He had the fire on stage. It was like an orgy on stage. <laughs> right. It was an amazing performance. So I dealt with him a little bit. But really, over the course of my career, I didn't have like a really tight relationship yeah. with Prince because uh, we really had only worked together once. So I just wrote him uh, from the heart letters, you know, congratulating him. And, and, you know, I'm reaching out to all the artists anyway when I'm producing the Rock and mm-hmm. Roll Fame uh, just to touch base with them and see what they want to do and all that. So I wrote a letter through, I don't remember if it was through his assistant or through a lawyer or whatever. And, uh, you know, a couple weeks later, I get a call from one of his security guys on my, my phone saying, Prince is in L.A., he's in town, he wants to meet with you. He didn't say why, he just probably wants to talk about the show. So I go to a, a recording studio, I don't even remember the name, in uh, North Hollywood, and I go in to meet with Prince, and it's just me and him in a room. Not are you much freaking more. out? I mean, he's such a yeah. legend. <laughs> I'm freaking out, but it's like here we are in this his own little recording studio, <laughs> little rehearsal studio, I should say. Tiny little room. We're sitting on stools. Nobody else is there. Even when I got there, there was like one assistant there. Right, you're expecting a posse. And yeah, the whole I was thing, expecting yeah. a whole posse. It was just me and him, and he's drinking his tea, <laughs> and uh, and we're just chatting. We're just chatting about the world. We're chatting about music. We're chatting about life. Uh, wow. I, I sat there with him for about two hours, and we just chatted about everything. He knew stuff about me I could not believe. I mean, he had done his homework, or he just is a fan of people that produce music for TV, but he wow. was very familiar with my work, which I was— uh, unbelievably shocked about. And of course, I was very familiar with his work. Right. Um, and so we talked, uh, we exchanged some anecdotes there. But then we got down to business and started talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I, I told him we wanted to open the show with his induction and with his performance. And he told me he wanted to do sort of a medley of a bunch of songs. And he was still working it out and all that. And, and after we talked about that, he brought up, he goes, I got your letter. And I'm inclined, uh, I'm interested in, I'm listening to the song. You know, obviously, I'd heard the song before, right. but he's listening to it, and he's it's trying to picture himself doing it. Because if you look over the course of time and history, Prince is not one of these guys that shows up to a lot of these multi-artist events and wants to jam or be a guest. <laughs> you don't see him on We Are the World, and you don't see him on a lot right, of those true. kinds of things. Not that this was like that, um, but he's he's usually a guy that likes to do things on his own, have control with his band, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he was even considering it, I was, you know, I was blown away. I was pleased. So he said he wanted to think about it some more. Uh, so I said, great. Uh, I said, uh, I'm going, now that I know you're interested, I said, I'm going to speak to the Tom Petty, Jeff Lynn camp. Uh, so they're ready to go in case you say, you give us your final yes. And he said, okay, great. So uh, so that was sort of phase one of that that part of this finale song that I was, was, was a dream for me to you know, put together. And then the funny story is that I then called up uh, Tom Petty and Jeff Lynn's uh, managers, yeah, uh, which were uh, Tony Dimitriotis for Tom Petty and Craig Fruin for, uh, for Jeff Lynn. And I told them about this meeting and I told them about this idea. I said, uh, you know, we'll, we'll open with Prince. We'll close with the George Harrison induction. And out of the George Harrison induction, you know, you guys obviously are going to do some George Harrison songs. Whatever two or three songs you do, let's make While My Guitar Gently Weeps the last <laughs> song. And then Prince, maybe some other people, but for the most part, Prince will come out and join you and do the guitar solo. And Tom and, uh, I mean, uh, um, Tony and uh, Craig were like, yes, of course, yeah. it sounds great. He says no to that. So we're going to uh, talk to uh, Tom and Jeff and get right back to you. I said, great. They called me back like the next day. Yeah. They're like, well, they thought about it. And oh, uh, they're thinking Taxman might be the better song to do. Mm. And I'm like, no. Not no. at I mean, all. Taxman <laughs> is a great song. Don't get me wrong. But uh, this is the song we got to yeah. do. It's, n- it's not epic. It's not epic. It yeah. doesn't It doesn't have the, the unbelievable. There's a solo in the middle right. and a solo at the end. We got to do it. And um, they said, all right, let, let us work on it a little bit more. And finally, they twist twist their arm. It's yeah. crazy. I mean, right. You had yeah. to twist their arm to do yeah. that with Prince. It's they, hilarious. It was just crazy. I mean, they wanted to play with him, but they were, right. they were, they were questioning what song. Anyway, <laughs> right. finally, that worked itself out. You didn't know how long the story is going to be. Hopefully, you can edit this. Way no, more. I love this. this is, I'm on the edge of my seat. So then we, uh, we get to the rehearsal, which at that, those days uh, was still at the Waldorf Astoria Ballroom in mm-hmm. New York City. is where we were doing the inductions, a very intimate show on a very small stage. Uh, we rehearsed Prince uh, during the day, in the afternoon, and uh, late in the afternoon. And then he was, uh, you know, we asked him to come back 
to uh, rehearse uh, Guitar Gently Weeps um, uh, at the end of the night when we were going to rehearse Tom Petty, Jeff Lynne, and his band on their band for this tribute to George Harrison. I did skip one part of the story, so let me let me just go back and— I, uh, I'm in. I'm all in. And you guys can decide if you want to use it or not. But who doesn't want to hear this story, Joel? These yeah. are like epic people, you know, iconic people. Part two of the story of meeting with Prince was uh, he called me a couple weeks later. He wanted to meet again, this time at the Beverly Hills Hotel. He had a, uh, a bungalow. And I met <laughs> of course he him, did. And he, I met him in, in, in his bungalow. And uh, this is when he confirmed that he would do. Okay. While my guitar gently weeps. Because, you know, the first meeting he was, he was still thinking about right. it. Right. Uh, but he wanted to know who would own the performance and how is it going to get distributed. And that was a big deal to him, obviously, with anything that Prince has ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. So we had to, uh, you know, put his mind at ease on how this was going to be distributed and how it only would be part of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And we had to address some of his concerns. I don't even think to this day he ever even signed a release, but that's uh. beside the point. But he wanted to hear the business side of it, mm-hmm. and uh, he wanted to know how it was going to get out there beyond the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So we 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 um, addressed that uh, to his liking. So that that part was fine. Um, so then now I'll cut back to the story I was telling. We're at yeah. the rehearsal. Uh, I asked Prince to come back. He didn't even convince me that he definitely was going to come back, <laughs> right. but he did come back right on time. Showed up. Uh, plugged in. Meanwhile, I forgot to say also earlier in the day while he was rehearsing his set, he was not happy with his sound engineer, so he fired him on the spot, <laughs> used our sound engineer. But remember, it goes back to what I said. If you want to bring your own sound engineer and use them, that's fine. We always have somebody that we think is great. Yeah, yeah. But if you want to use your own guy, in this case, that Prince, backfired. <laughs> Prince, it backfired. He didn't like the guy that he was using, wow. and he ended up using our guy. Uh, so anyway, that night, uh, Prince comes up, he plugs in, uh, you know, obviously talks to Tom and Jeff. Uh, and, and did they, they already know each other? Like, I don't think they, so. Okay. So I don't think they knew each other. It's possible they met before, but yeah. I got the feeling they were they were pretty much meeting for the first time, or at least certainly it was the first time they were on stage together. Okay. So they started running it. Now, earlier uh, when they ran it without Prince there, they had ran it a little bit before Prince was there. Uh, Jeff Lynn uh, brought his guitar player that mm-hmm. I can't remember his name right now. And uh, he uh, was doing all the guitar solos yeah. because Prince wasn't there. The middle guitar solo, right. the end guitar solo. And he sounded really good, yeah. but exactly like the record. Um, but I, I reminded Jeff and Tom, hey, when Prince gets here, those right. are his solos. <laughs> Move <you> over. <laughs> he should just be playing rhythm. Right. So Prince gets there. They start running the song, and they get to the, the, the middle solo, and Prince starts to play it, and this other guy starts playing it, and then Prince just lays back and plays the rhythm. And and the song continues. And then when we get to the end solo, same thing. Prince starts to play it. This guy. Were you uh, fuming? I was fuming, yes. But <laughs> to myself. I don't right. Know, like, what is happening? I had to let the song finish, but I couldn't believe this was happening. So song ends. I huddle up with uh, Tony Dimitriotis and Craig Fruin, <laughs> uh, who then huddle up with uh, with Tom and uh, and Jeff. And, uh, and we said, let's run it again. And uh, we run it again. And uh, I think, oh, here's what we decide that we let him have the middle solo because Prince, Prince and I talked because he kept calling. I was the only person he was like communicating right, to. Right, right. He's like, that's OK that he does the middle solo. Better for me just to come at the end. I said, OK, if that's what you want. Fine. So he does the middle solo. We get to the end solo. The guy keeps doing the solo. Like as if maybe he'll go back and forth with Prince. Yeah, what and, a dick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was never going to happen. So again, Prince doesn't really play. He just starts strumming, does the rhythm and all that. And that was all the rehearsal we got. And um, and is that his humility or is that like he – what's going through his mind? Ooh, Prince's mind? Yeah. I, I think he wasn't really worried about it. It was rehearsal. There were 12 okay. people in the room. You know, he was saving it for the show. And got he, it. And he, he knew I had his back. Right. So he knew. And he, he knew gonna... that when it came to showtime – That was it. The coast would be clear I for like him it. to do it. Yeah. So uh, he said, I don't need to do it again. And I said, you absolutely don't need to do it again. Right. So he left, had a long talk with the, the band again. They they got the message loud and clear. I said, we have no more rehearsal. But just do whatever you want in that middle solo. Right. But when it comes to the end, just let Prince cut loose. And whatever happens, happens. Uh, and we all the video that's out there that people see from that night, we were all seeing it for the first time. Myself, wow. Tom Petty, Jeff Lynn, because he really never – Rehearse it. That's just how he felt in the moment. And it was fiery. It, you have, yeah. it was Ugh. fierce. It was just. And it's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. So you have yeah. to look it's, it up. It's, it's impossible. It's on my Facebook page. Yeah. It's gave, it, I mean? gives, it, it gave me chills. Just thinking yeah. about it gives me chills. It, it, it was incredible. And a lot of people, you know, you know, call it one of, uh, if not the, 
you know, greatest guitar solo of all time. We're not saying that Prince Prince is one of the greatest guitar players of all time. Yep. And he's had plenty of great guitar moments in his own songs. But something about this moment, the way he sort of the spot, he just stepped into the spotlight. Because he was sort of in the, you see him a little bit if you right. watch the song. It's a long song. So the first five minutes of the song, you barely see him. He's in the wings. Right. We kept the light off him, the whole thing. And then right at the end, the, he steps towards downstage. The light hits him. And he just, he just, just unleashes this furious solo uh uh that no that just nobody in the and in, in the audience nobody on tv was really ready for and just were blown away by and then he does uh, these other things like in the middle of the solo again not rehearsed yeah he just leans back and some guy <laughs> holds him up that, that you would think that he and the guy must have rehearsed it in the hotel room or something because we didn't know that was coming and then at the very end he just throws his guitar up in the air and it just disappears where did it go? Well, is a, this guy <laughs> caught it in the audience, but again, not rehearsed, right. not choreographed, and the way I the way I shot it, not necessarily intentionally. It really yeah. looks like the guitar never comes down. Wow! If you watch it, it went it's up like, to the heavens. It just went up to the heavens, yeah. and George caught it. So cool. You know what I mean? So it's that, um, that high that you must have been on after that night, right? Yeah. Did you it, talk it, to him after? I uh, I did talk to him after, and I did see him after because I went to his tour. Uh, and when it came to L.A. and I got backstage and talked to him. And you know what he was doing for a while on his tour? Ended up that Alicia Keys and Outkast sort of co-inducted him. Wow. He was using Alicia Keys' speech, which was amazing, as a way for him to get on stage. So for about 20 dates uh, on his tour after the Hall of Fame, once it was once the show aired, uh, we sent him like a high-res version of that. And he'd play it on the big screen. The lights would go down. Wow. And Alicia Keys' sort of very poetic induction would precede Prince's entrance. So he really he really got into the whole thing. Love was that. very pleased with how it came out. Um, I never really got a chance to work with him after that. I was in touch with his camp, his assistants, and almost worked with him a couple times after that. Um, uh, but I never uh, had the chance to, you know, work with him again. And then, of course, he passed away. What, what a story. Was it your idea? I don't know why my mind's flashing to this, but was it your idea to have Adam Levine play Purple Rain at the birthday no, show? No, that was Adam Levine's idea. Okay, I mean, because another incredible yeah. musician. Adam, Adam, first of all, I didn't know Adam could play guitar like that. I think Howard Stern didn't even know it. Yeah, I mean, he, no, all, he's, well, he's really talented. We all know Adam is a talented <laughs> musician and a songwriter vocalist. and a fantastic vocalist, mm-hmm. but nobody <laughs> that I know in this industry, knew that he could play guitar like that. And he he was amazing. Yeah. That's another one. If you check out it from the Howard Stern birthday show, yeah. really, really amazing Hopefully they still have it online. I don't even know. I think know you can do. see that. That one's yeah. on YouTube. Or, or on his, uh, or on HowardStern.com. I don't know. Do you, so let's, uh, you know, there's so much to cover. So I want to hit some of the, you know, like you just said an incredible story. Um, you were tapped to produce the concert after 9-11, and it was to benefit, was it benefit the first responders' families? Well, no, yeah, I well, I wouldn't necessarily call it a concert. I think the, okay. the because it was a concert that happened late October, but, okay. you know, after 9-11— um, And were I, you living in New York? I was living in L.A. Okay. Living in L.A., I was editing my very silly movie called Not Another Teen right. Movie. Laura was a producer on that. I she remember. She was not a producer. Oh, sorry. Well, but Laura, I, you know, I'm like Laura, the Jewish mom. I'm going to give her a higher Laura has a title. special thanks credit, I think, okay, there we in go. the credits. But she was definitely helpful and involved. But um, I was editing my movie, and uh, everything sort of shut down when 9-11 hit uh, everywhere, not just yeah, in New York. Right. And um, on, uh, I think we went back to work uh, two days, three days later, and we're editing the movie. Um, and I get a call uh, from a guy named Alex Wallow, who was the president of ABC at the time, and his um, uh, executive vice president or senior vice president, Andrew Wong, oh. were on the phone. And I had worked with Andrew a couple times at ABC. Mm-hmm. And they called me up and they said, you know, we've been on the phone with all the presidents of all the networks, the four <laughs> major networks, mm-hmm. and we want to do something and we want you to do it. And I said, what do you mean? You want to do what something it, right? and you want me to do it? And when do you want to do it? Yeah. This is, uh, you know, I'm, uh, obviously I want to help, but I have to, you know, figure out when. And, you know, to, you know so this was like literally on Friday, uh, September 14th. And they said, we want to do it a week from tonight, September 21st. Mm-hmm. I said, a week from tonight, you want to do a show <laughs> that's live on all four networks. Wow. And we don't have any idea what it is. And they said, that's correct. And we want to get on a conference call like tonight at 6 o'clock. With all the major, with all the network presidents, and talk about it with you. I said, "Well, I have to first, you know, get out. You know, I gotta get myself released from the movie for a week because I, obviously this is going to take twenty four seven. I got to do this right." Wow. And I was just, um, I, I, I remember um, the, uh, Alex Wallow. He's funny. He said, uh, 
Jeffrey Katzenberg is going to help out. He's very close with uh, Amy Pascal, who is obviously yeah. running Sony. He'll call Amy, and I'm sure it won't be a problem. I said, okay, that, that'll that probably help. Right. And so the next thing you know, Amy Pascal's calling me up and saying, I hear that the networks want you to do this. Is this something you really want to do? And I said, of course it's something I really want to yeah. do. She goes, all right, because Jeffrey Katzenberg called me. She goes, you, you have to do it. Are you a New Yorker, by the way? I am a New Yorker, yeah. Yeah, so it's near and dear to you. Absolutely. So, right. And, and I, I was in New York actually a few days before 9-11. But, wow. but yeah, so they, the next thing you know, I'm on the phone with them. The next thing I know, I'm like going like, I think it was Scott Sassa's house on that Saturday, <laughs> uh, who was at NBC at the yeah. time. And I'm meeting with Scott Sassa and Ari Emanuel's there and Jimmy Iovine. And all these heavyweights in the business are there to help. What can we do to help? Right. How can we put this thing together? And I sort of explain in the very short time what my vision for the show is, which is a very bare you know, just like almost like going back to the early days of PBS where they did their first telethons, you know, where it's just a bare soundstage, you know, right. let's no, no, no audience, you know, no, um, you know, uh, uh, glitter, you know, you know, gla- you know, no glitz and glamour, right. whatever you call it. Stripped down. All, all very stripped down. And, and, and I think we ended up, you know, as a tribute to, uh, uh, what happened, just just a lot of candles, and we got a very mm-hmm. small stage in L.A., a very small stage in New York, um, you know, barely enough room to fit a couple artists in, in there. Uh, I didn't want any of the hoopla of, being, of anybody being introduced. Everybody should be on the same plane, whether you're a Bruce Springsteen or a brand-new artist named Alicia Keys, because she was brand-new at the wow. time. And nobody gets introduced, no graphics under their name. Mm-hmm. Just everybody comes out, does a song that uh, means something to them that really reflects what they're feeling at this moment, whether it's their own or a cover. And then we get uh, celebrities to tell stories of something heroic, something uh, powerful that happened during the whole 9-11 uh, uh, day. And um, and that's why we ended up calling that America a tribute to heroes because it really was stories about the heroes of 9-11. Yeah. And it was a two-hour show, nonstop. Uh, you know, raising, I think it ended up raising uh, $150 million wow. uh, for the uh, families of all the victims from 9-11, whether they were, whether they were on the plane that, that crashed in Pennsylvania or in one of the buildings or on one of the planes that, that crashed into the buildings. It was, uh, it was a special, fun, special uh, um, a foundation that was set up to take care of them. Uh, we also obviously um, got a lot of help from Mr. George Clooney. I remember we set up offices at um, CBS cause the, uh, on Beverly Boulevard because that's where the soundstage that was available that we were able to go in and do. By the way, everybody who worked on the show did it for nothing. Right. All the unions waived fees. There was like no expenses on the yeah, show. It was yeah. unbelievable. And, um, wow. and uh, all of a sudden it was like Wednesday morning, Tuesday morning maybe because the show was on Friday. And I, I, Clooney just walks into my office. He goes, what can I do to help? And uh, he had this idea uh, about, um, uh, you know, how are we going to raise the money? So, well, we, we're, we're scrambling to get, you know, as many operators as possible to take phone calls to, to take people's donations, but they're all set up like in the middle of the country. Yeah. And he was like, well, it'd be great. It was his idea to say, well, if we can actually have celebrities answering the phones and we can show that, then more people are going to call because they have a chance to call and maybe talk to Brad Pitt. Yeah. Maybe talk to Ben Stiller. Right. Maybe talk to Jennifer Aniston, whatever. So I said, all right, let's figure out how to do that. So I got a team of producers involved and we figured out that the phone line still had to come to this control center in Oklahoma, but randomly some of those calls would then get forwarded to the LA studio. So there would be like a three-way call. So an operator would be on taking mm-hmm. the information, but this person calling might get a chance to talk to Jack Nicholson, right. you know, or Morgan Freeman or whoever was answering the phones. And we had like, I think, 30 people or maybe more, 30 celebrities say, answering yeah. the phones. Oh, celebs, okay. So we had like 20 celebrities and 20 musical artists wow. and plus 30 celebrities answering the phone. And sometimes, and I think there were even more, it was unbelievable how many people wanted to do the show. Some I had to turn down and others we just, you know, would take turns on the phone bank because everybody showed up without their entourages drove themselves so cool. uh, just every it was just I, I to this day I wish there were I had I was so so many things on my plate to put that show together I the one thing I regret is we didn't have like a documentary I was crew. just gonna say Filming, how... and none of this is filmed right this is all in my memory wow. and other people's and it was worked. a week the whole thing was a week the whole thing really was five days really because we really got going Monday morning we we were formulating the idea making a lot of calls over the weekend but really we hit the ground running Monday morning and the show was live ended up being on like 60 or 70 networks and a bunch of places around the world where it started off as just a four network thing. Incredible. And it was it was just unbelievable, but it was a one-time only thing, hopefully something we would never have to do again. And then five years later when Katrina happened, 
we did it again. And then five years after that, when Haiti happened, we did it again. You know, nothing will ever compare to that first one, the 9-11 show. But, you know, it, these are important, you know, uh, uh, television uh, moments in a sense that it gets people engaged and understanding, you know, what's going on. And whether it's the average person who just wants to contribute 5 or $10 or big corporations that ended up uh, giving us millions of dollars just to get their name mentioned, right. who, cares? who cares? It raised a lot of money and it helped a lot of people. I'm jumping ahead to my stock question, uh, sure. one of my stock questions, because it's just I'm assuming this would be the the answer. But is this or was was that first one the most your proudest accomplishment of your career? Without a doubt. I mean, I really felt like I should uh, I should just not ha- Pack I should, it in. I should retire. I really <laughs> right. did. I really felt Let's like end on this note. How do I go back to edit the uh, toilet scene and not another teen movie? <laughs> How uh, did you? I did somehow, and yeah. by the way, it was one of the best toilet scenes ever. I bet, but I'm you probably kidding. needed the light humor too. No, I did. A heavy of course, time, it was know? a very heavy time. But just it was one of those times. I know I spoke earlier in, in our uh, interview here that um, sometimes uh, when things go really well, <laughs> yeah. it's not as uh, the shows aren't as exciting, and are they, there's something missing. This was one of those cases where I'm glad everything went well because, you know, here we are. We ended up in New York, London, and L.A. live in three different places. Uh, So many technical things could have gone wrong. There were a lot of last-second changes, but we had them together all the way until, you know, 30 minutes before the show. And once once we were on the air, it just went like clockwork. It was unbelievable. The sound was pristine. The lighting was perfect. Everybody sang their hearts out. Everybody was in the spirit of the moment. Uh, the only last second thing I remember from that one was Dave Matthews uh, was on his way to the airport. And uh, we realized we had room for one more artist because we we were trying to squeeze him in and we couldn't. And then we called his guy and literally Dave Matthews was at Kennedy Airport because we figured it out about four o'clock in the afternoon or something like that. And he drove back, got on the stage like 10 minutes before he's going to go on. And he did his, uh, I think he did a song called Every Day, beautiful song. And he did yeah. it on acoustic guitar yeah. and it was great. But other than that, everything was really just, just. Uh, came together. Came together um, incredibly well. And uh you could just feel the emotion from from New York to L.A. to London and to really the whole world watching. And um, feeling the love of people was unbelievable after that because the phone calls that I got, uh, uh, it was still in the early days of email, but I got a lot of emails wow. and a lot of letters, a lot of really personal and handwritten letters. And um, and obviously then all of a sudden, you know, the Peabody and the Emmys and all that wow. kind of stuff started happening. And it's like when all this happened, you're like, this was my purpose. This is what I was. Right. This is what I was meant to do, I guess. And to go back and do anything else was difficult. But eventually, you have to. You know. You know. Life goes on. And, it does. And, and then, back. like you said, you you got to do some incredible specials like Haiti and, and Katrina. But you also, uh, I'm assuming, the CNN Heroes show came out of all of these types of shows. Was that your idea, or the network? Come no, to that you was with that? Uh, CNN came to me with it. Yeah. They um, they were percolating with the idea for a little bit, and. Uh, uh, yeah, and I do believe one of the reasons they came to me is is because of the those shows that I had done, um, you know, like you said, like the Katrina and the and the nine eleven show, and um, and and yeah, that was a wonderful experience and uh, loved doing those shows. Yeah, I'll bet. What in terms of you know where, I know this is probably I don't know if it's something you think about or if you are just too busy to think about, but you know when you think of your the next however many years, like how many more years do you think you'll be doing this if you have your druthers? I really uh, don't know, but uh, <laughs> probably not that many. Really? Because yeah. you don't want to or because no. you— th- yeah, 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 well, I, it's, it's you know, I have, I'm spending a lot more time with my son. I have a 12-year-old. Yeah, I saw the safari pictures. You saw the safari Incredible. pictures. That was what an, an unbelievable, life-changing vacation that was. And now I can't wait for our next trip. Aww. And he's, he's become like a professional photographer yeah. from that trip. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That's a dream trip for me, too. And, uh, you know, I, I you think want to what, be able to do more things like uh, that. well for with him and also on my own, too, because mm-hmm. I really spent my uh, my 20s, my late 20s, 30s and 40s <laughs> really being a true workaholic. Yeah. You know, I was working, 
you know, I felt like I was working seven days a week. I wasn't always, but I was always busy. I was very yeah. lucky. I was very, I'm very grateful for the work. I was able to, uh, uh, you know, I, I loved every second of it. I was very uh, into what I was doing. I know there's a lot of people out there in the world that aren't into what they're doing. And so I've certainly not taken any of that for granted. But at the same time, I haven't really seen the world. And I haven't done a lot of things I want, I've wanted to do. And I don't want to be too old. Yeah, when I'm to doing enjoy that. them, right. So I think right now I'm at a stage where I'm, I am still working, of course, and I'm doing things only that I want to do. I, right. You can I, be picky. Yeah, I get offered uh, projects a lot that uh, I, I turn down. If, if it's just something that I, I, really, I really feel like I've been that way my entire career, uh, but I'm even more selective now. And also, if, if you talked to me 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and I wasn't working, I'd be like going crazy. <laughs> right, right. Now I'm like you love it. totally relaxed. And I'm totally cool with it. And uh, if the phone rings or I come up with an idea and I think of somebody I want to pitch it to, I do it. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Believe me, I'm keeping busy. Right, uh, I'm sure. I, but, I'm but not you've, bored at But all. you've mellowed in terms of that, you know, uh, hunger to, like, fill every minute and every— Yes, yeah. I've definitely mellowed. I, I don't think I've mellowed once I'm in the trenches. Right, right. I think people You're will— You're full on. I still got the fire and I still got the passion. Right. Uh, sometimes— uh, too much. Uh, but Are I you a yeller? I, no. Well, probably probably more so uh, in the past than I am now. But yeah. uh, I'm more. It's more that I'm a perfectionist. Yeah, perfectionist. So I I, um, I I don't sometimes. Uh, I need to have more patience sometimes to get to the finish line the correct way. Uh, you like it the way you like it. That's I, what I, I always but say. I, but I definitely have gotten better. Yeah. At that, and um, but certainly I'm not as fiery as I once was. But I, but I am definitely uh, as passionate. If I take on a project, um, I'm going to do it 110 percent. Still. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, in terms of your goals that way, where you want to see the world and you want to travel, do you see like documentaries in your future, like somehow combining some of this travel bug with your background, or is it really just a purely enjoy? Yeah, I think purely enjoy. I think if I did start doing documentaries about my travels, it would be, <laughs> I would be like working then. It wouldn't right. be, it wouldn't be the same. Yeah. I'd still, would I love to do a documentary about some interesting topic? Sure, yeah. I'd still do that. In fact, I'm working on one, one right now potentially with Comedy Central and another company. So nice. um, so certainly documentary, because uh, I've never really done a full-fledged documentary, yeah. is something that I would love to do. Uh, but I probably wouldn't do it if it's because I'm doing something that I, uh, for my own personal enjoyment. Got it. So when you look back, you know, on your career, what are, other than this sort of, you know, 9-11, like some of the things that we talked about, um, is there is there a moment or... Like, I'm just curious, and I, I mean, I don't think any real famous people listen to this, so hopefully you can be candid. I mean, did you, do you have one of those moments where, like, a celebrity just went ape shit, or, like, something where you just thought, like, this is not worth it. Yeah, I don't need this shit, you know, I'm, I'm too good at what I do, or are there any sort of, like, that, you know, whether it's funny or horrible? Well, I would say I've had many uh, instances over my career where there have been run-ins or conflicts or... A celebrity, uh, I don't know about going ape shit, but certainly <laughs> um, uh, expressing their opinion strongly. In none of those cases, though, did I say it's not worth it, I quit, whatever. In fact, most of the time it was upsetting because you know what I said earlier. You make I aim happy. to please. Yeah. I want to make them happy. So to me, I'm always like, well, what did I do wrong? How could I have done this better? And uh, I always try to, you know, rectify the situation. You know, some that come to mind, some of these people you, you already have, you know, probably are known to be difficult already, like, for instance, Roseanne. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when I did a short-lived uh, late-night sketch variety show with Roseanne uh, back around, I think, 1996, 97 for Fox, uh, you know, we, we met, we liked each other. She brought me in to be an executive producer along with her manager, Sandy Gallen. Oh, wow. Uh, and we uh, we produced what we 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 brought in a a great cast that included Jennifer Coolidge and Kathy Griffin and we had a lot of great celebrities that would show up and do it and the first three shows I thought went relatively well um, but she had she had me sort of um, uh, a little bit uh, 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 an obstacle in my way was that she brought in a head writer that I didn't think was the right head writer but it was, Tom Arnold it was no. one of her friends no was, this was after <laughs> Tom Arnold I think um, and. Uh, Anyway, I'm not going to mention his name, but it was uh, there was a lot of um, he said, she said kind of things going mm-hmm. on, and so like like she was freaking out a lot of times and 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 battling me where she didn't really need to battle because yeah. it was it was like she was battling her own demons in right. a sense, and then like halfway through the shows after the third show, she realized 
what was going on. And we sat down at her house. We, we, we realized what had happened. And, uh, and the last sh three shows, we were fine. And years later, we got to laugh about it when I did the Roseanne Roast on Comedy Central. Yes. And that kind of thing. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. Speaking of which, sorry to interrupt, but I can't remember sure. if she talked about it on Howard. But that's a great story, too, about Tom Arnold on the roast, yeah. right? Yes. Like he was maybe yeah. gun she did she know that he was gonna yeah, come she off? she knew eventually, but we were working on it for a long time. Uh, early on, um, you know, Tom, I reached out to Tom and others that work on the show, like Jeff Ross, people yeah. like that, and asked Tom if he would do it. And he said, absolutely, he would do it, but he would only do it if she, she wants like, him to do right. it. And we would bring it up early on with Roseanne, and uh, she uh, really wanted to sort of see how the day is, you know, shook out for her. She wanted to see, like, who right. was there. Right. She was very noncommittal. But then as we got closer to the show, I think she realized that uh, – this indeed uh, could be a good moment, and she was open to it. But they never spoke ahead of time. Right. They never planned anything. Yeah. You uh, could tell it was very extemporaneous, yeah. and there was a really sweet moment. It was a really sweet moment. I thought yeah. Tom's uh, Tom's uh, jokes at the dais, I mean, he was he handled it really with class. Yeah. It was really you could funny. tell he was nervous, too. He was nervous, but uh, it really didn't get confirmed till the night before. Wow. Uh, and then, you know, I, you know, he already had written a set, but we had a couple writers that I gave him right away in case he wanted to punch it up. And um, and then her rebuttal, obviously, I remember. Uh, and then when they, we had like a nice backstage moment, too, with our backstage cameras where they actually hugged and had a little I remember moment. that. Yeah, really and, sweet. And have they spoken since? Who knows? But, I doubt it. <laughs> but it was, it, was, it was a sweet moment, so it was nice to have that uh, at that roast. But as far as other people and other celebrities, I mean, there's probably some silly stories with— you know, one with Christopher Walken, and uh, oh, but he probably wouldn't even remember it. Uh, but it was actually a pretty funny story. And and I worked with Madonna many times over the years, and there were a few times where uh, she and I didn't see eye to eye. But at the end of the day, we all had mutual respect, and it was all fine and good, um, and, and there really wasn't an issue. But I really don't remember a lot of, like, That's celebrities, uh, you know, just uh, going batshit and—, and uh, <laughs> storming off or doing something crazy. You know what I mean? Interesting. So we're getting to our stock questions that you answered the, the first one. I'm wondering if you have any regrets in your career. Regrets? Well, I told you about one. I wish, uh, you know, I wish I had documentary cameras right. shooting uh, when, we, when we did the 9-11 thing. So that's, uh, that's one that comes to mind right away. So we could sort of remember and, and, and share with people how that thing came together yeah. and how hard everybody worked uh, to make that thing uh, happen. As far as other regrets, yeah, I, I have uh, definitely a regret. I, I, I mentioned before that I was editing my movie, not another team movie, and I do regret that I haven't done another movie. You know, I, I produced Zoolander, I directed not another team movie, but I wish I could have directed another movie, at least one more movie, maybe more. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why that didn't happen. Um, but yeah, I would say uh, uh, that's a big regret. I mean, I, I have no regrets about my TV stuff. I yeah. love every show that I've done. I've loved the people that I've worked with. I feel like I really made my mark and yeah. carved my niche and, you know, set out to do something and accomplished it. And not everybody can say that um, and continue to do that uh, in the world of TV. Um, not too late for movies, though, right, if you uh, wanted to? It's not that it's too late. It's just that um, it's just a long—it's a whole separate interview, a whole separate story. Yes, if you wrote a script— and you said, Joel, do you want to direct it? And I, and I read it and I loved it. Yeah, let's go make the movie. It's just, you know, when you're immersed in the TV world like I am right now, and there's so many other people that are immersed in the film world. I was a guy that was immersed in the TV world trying to squeeze in the film world. Right, you see right. what I'm saying? Got it. You can't. I, yeah. I wasn't, I didn't make, and that's why it's one of my regrets in a sense. Got it. I didn't make the full commitment. I got not another team movie because I was doing the MTV Movie Awards. Right. I was creating all these funny short films. Right. You were parodies. known in that genre. Right? Yeah, I was doing parodies of, of a lot of popular movies. So when and someone, that's how Zoolander came about, right? And that's how Zoolander came about, yeah. right, from the VH1 Fashion Awards. So yes. It was a different show, but the okay. Movie Awards continued that. And then what happened was with Scary Movie Success, Sony and right. Neil Maritz said, let's do the same kind of thing, making fun of scary movies. Let's make fun of teen movies. And Neil had seen some of my work and said, this guy would be great. I met, went in met with Amy Pascal. She showed, she saw all my short films, including the one with like Tom Cruise and Ben Stiller and <laughs> Jack Black and Will, you know, all these great people that were in there. But, but, for the, but just my sensibility about how to make fun of a movie yes. and how to do it right, right. that she gave, uh, she gave the project over to me and I brought some of my team in to, to uh, rework the script. And uh, 
it was a wonderful, great experience. We we casted it with all unknowns. Chris Evans, who's now a big star, and oh, Kyler wow. Lee, and Eric Kristen Olsen, and Joanna Garcia, and Jamie Presley. A lot of these people, nobody knew who they so were, funny. and they all they all went on to much bigger and better better things, obviously. But you know, for me, I right after that movie. I went right back to like doing my Dixie Chick special or the right. MTV Movie Awards or CNN Heroes. Right. Or it was like a blip. It, it, it wasn't a blip. It's just that I, I mean, just, in terms people of were calling me and I was film, doing them. Right. And then what happened is I would get more scripts and I would sneak in a meeting here, sneak in a meeting there. And I had a romantic comedy at MGM set up with Mark Platt, actually. Oh, wow. Um, a big time producer. Yeah. And we were at the one yard line and MGM folded um, and uh, or got bought out. Right. And, and that project got put on hold and it sort of never went. But but that's the thing about movies, right? Yeah, and it happens a lot. That's the thing. Like, for every 50, you know, TV has just a better batting average. It does. But if that movie happened, I could see all of a sudden making, yeah, the, would, making the jump yeah. into movies. But when that didn't happen, I got buried again on TV. Right. So what happens, you get buried on TV, you take less and less meetings in the film world, you get sent less and less scripts. Right. And I didn't show the hunger uh, that I think they want to see. Yeah. And after after a few years of that, they're like, he's busy doing TV and he's doing it well. Yeah. We're going to stop sending the script. So yeah. that's a regret because I felt like I never showed the world that I could do a comedy movie. They, I could show, I showed yeah. them the short films. I showed them the parody. I've shown them the TV stuff on the directing side. But I know, I'm 100% sure that I could have done a really good movie for Judd Apatow or, 100%. For, or, or another one for Sony or something like that. But just didn't have the uh, the people that know me, that know my sensibility in yeah. comedy, and that work with me on the MTV Movie right. Awards and people like that. They know I can do it, but you know, at the time, they weren't the ones that were, you know, making those decisions and right. handing out the scripts. Right. I total I totally get it. So back to TV um, for my last question. Do you have like if we had to narrow it down to your top three shows that you actually love watching, whether scripted or unscripted? Oh, that I that I watch. Yeah, as a that's fan. just as a viewer. Yeah, as a viewer. Well, my favorite show. I would say maybe of all time, but certainly of the last 10, 20 years, is Lost. Yeah. Oh, okay. I loved Lost. I, I got into it right from the first episode. and uh, Your son watched it too? Well, I, what I was about to say is, you know, I watched it when it was on from yeah. whenever it was, 2004 to 2010. Right, he was like born. And then uh, <laughs> last, not this past summer, but last summer, um, I was telling my son about it, and it's on Netflix, and I watched the entire six seasons again with my son, and he loved it. And I sort of loved it all over again because, you know, watching it four or five years later after it got, went off the air and coming at it from a different perspective and stuff, and, you know, you see things you don't see. But it was just it was just such an, a, a beautiful story. I thought the acting, the writing, the directing, the music. The storytelling. The storytelling. Like, I feel like they started that genre, which sort of like digging into those characters' backstories. And yes, but as far as also on a yeah. primetime network, on a commercial yeah. network show— I don't think there'll ever be a show like it again because now Netflix and HBO and it's obviously true. Amazon, all these other places now are really taking over that storytelling world and the networks, yeah. you know, aren't sure really really good point. how they could carve that niche again. But somehow Lost managed to do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love that show. Um, but I also, of course, loved Breaking Bad. And I, uh, what else did I love? And I still love House of Cards. Yes. Um, and um, Any and unscripted? Any unscripted? I don't really watch a lot of unscripted, you know. Comedy uh, that, Central Roast? <laughs> well, yes, I watch those, and those are some of the greatest TV of all time, of yeah. course. Um, but, you know, I kid. But, uh, do you do all of them? Do you direct all of them? I do. I produce and direct. Uh, I direct yeah. all. I'll knock on Formica knock on here. Knock on uh, That yeah, I've done Mike. them all since Pam Anderson uh, wow. in, I think, 2003. I've done them all. What was your favorite one to do? God, I've loved them all, but— um, I don't know. I'd say Pam Anderson and Justin Bieber might yeah. have been my uh, oh, two favorites. You know, which uh, Pam was my, you know, Pam was my first one. <laughs> you always remember was, your first. And it was also, it was such a party on stage. Right. We overbooked it. We had too many people. People <laughs> were really getting drunk. Right. Now I think we have people like pretending to get yeah, drunk. Yeah, but they're not. I don't know if they really are, but they really were. And we That's had like funny. a uh, Tommy Lee performed in the middle of the show. Oh and, my God. I don't, Courtney, I don't think I ever saw it. And also we're talking about last second things on yeah. shows of it. The whole drama with Courtney Love being on that show because she was Pam's like best friend at the time. Oh, really? Yeah. And I, I had to go to the uh, Sunset marquee she wasn't confirmed literally to the night before i had to go uh like have like five drinks with courtney love the night before with one of my writers at the and really really convince her that she was in a safe place to come and do the show wow and we got her literally the night before and she was like 
Was she sober? She was not sober. No, <laughs> she said nothing. she she said she <laughs> was, was, but she clearly wasn't. Yeah. But she was a big hit. Jimmy Kimmel was unbelievable. Wow. He was the host, and you know Jeff Ross, probably one of his best sets ever. But everybody, but Courtney Love got hit as hard as Pam, and uh, and that just <laughs> made the show that much better. better. Andy yeah. Dick did it. I mean, it was a lot of train wreck stuff going yeah. on <laughs> right. on that stage. You it know? was like roast with them, roast with them. Roast B. Arthur did it, but no. then when Jeff Ross came out and 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 crushed her, B. Arthur left. It was the only time we ever had somebody I remember, leave. Yeah. Yes. In the middle of a day. So there was a lot He of, still talks about that story. Yeah there, yeah, there was just a lot of unbelievable live raw moments, yeah. even though the show wasn't live, that we left in and happened. So I would say that was my favorite, and Bieber is probably my second favorite. But honestly, the Trump roast was amazing, and there was a lot of one. There really wasn't a roast that didn't work. Yeah. You know, they all worked. They all, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm a huge fan. I don't remember Pam, but I've seen all the rest, and it's I'm a, I'm a big fan. Jonas won't tell me the one coming up. And neither will I. I need to know, Joe. Well, you know, first of all, he won't tell you because it's 99% confirmed. Right, right. It's until not, it's actually. Yeah, it's not. And until it's confirmed and also we is have to. Is it a good one? We have to lock in a date <laughs> and we have to, he has to be ready to announce it to the press. Right. Because he knows if he tells you, yeah. you're on a podcast. I you, know. You, you, you I can accidentally know. leak it out. I know. Is it a good one if this person happens? I think it's an excellent one, yeah. It's someone uh, that uh, I think will, people will be pleasantly surprised because it's not your typical person that you think has a lot of baggage and has a lot of things to make fun of. Mm. That's the only hint I'll give you. It's not like, you know, when, yeah, when, we, when we announced Justin Bieber, people right, said, that's oh, that like makes the obvious, sense. Right. Look at Charlie all Sheen. Charlie Sheen. There's yeah. certain obvious yeah. ones. Even Roseanne, you know, even right. for the old school, there's, yeah. a lot, there's a lot of immediate stuff. But yeah, Rob this, Lowe was probably not as much, and it was a great roast. Rob Lowe wasn't as much, uh, but, but there was enough there, and right. he has a lot of stuff from the early days right, of his right, career. Right. You if know? we remember Snow White and the, and the porn and the, like, yeah, the hotel but, uh, room. This particular person, I'm saying person because I'm not saying it's female Oh, I hope it's a male. woman. Uh, you know, on the surface, you, you probably wouldn't automatically go, oh, yeah, there's a lot of dirt there. So uh, whether there is or not, I'm not going to say, but but it does present new challenges. But it also it's an exciting challenge, you know, because yeah. like, because everybody has skeletons in their closet. <gasps> what a tease. What a good way to end. Joel, thank you so much. You're it's been welcome. so much fun. Thanks for sharing your some stories of your incredible career. And here's to many more safaris in your future. I really appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. 